Hey, welcome to the Afikra podcast. My name is Mikey Mhenna. On today's episode, we have the final night of the Habibi Festival, which took place in New York City at Joe's Pub in the Public Theater. And this final night is a little special because it's not with necessarily a musician, it is with a dancer and choreographer, Estra Warda, who is a dancer, educator, choreographer who celebrates a style of dance from North Africa. There's a lot of fun. This conversation is led by the illustrious Rami Abu Khalil and took place after the performance and is a lot of fun to listen to. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and check out the other nights of the Habibi Festival on our Quarter Tone series as well, if you haven't. Hope you enjoy it. My name is uh, Rami, I'm a member uh, of Africa. I wanna thank Joe's Pub again for, for having this amazing festival. If you who don't know, um, Africa is a kind of grass that started here in New York and evolved into a global media and educational platform. We focus on the history of the Arab region, uh, and we really encourage our members to proactively question the dominant narratives uh, about the history and the culture of the region. So what a better event to do that than tonight. that I'm not only thrilled to have seen but also, I think, secretly in love with at this point, like everybody else in the audience. So give it up for Israel Warda again. to be here. I'm a big fan of Afikra. I've actually followed a lot of talks. So uh, I'm yeah. very happy to be your guest. I'm, I'm really, really excited. You know, we've, we've done a lot of... Um, we look into dance a lot. We're always very curious about dance. It's such yeah. an interesting part of culture that's often very difficult to talk about, actually, yes. because it's so difficult to transmit. Um, and I have to say I was very, very moved, literally, by your performance today. And I want you to tell me a little bit about your first encounter with, with dance that made you really think, oh, this is the one. This is the Eureka, you know? This is what I want to do. Okay, first, can we switch sides? Because that's my better side. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's why I got the piercing on this side. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, I mean, I don't think you have a bad side. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, so, you know, um, there wasn't really a one moment. I know it's kind of like we're always trying to figure out the artistic uh, path. Like, when was that uh, spark for you? For me, it was more like a gradual, a gradual seeds, really, that were planted. So I was somebody who grew up in dance in my household. Uh, it was a cultural practice. It wasn't something that I learned in school or, or uh, anything in any formal way. But I think my work, what it does is it brings a lot of importance to the informal education, the community education, that that's also valid as a form of education as well. 
because a lot of communities of color learn things at home, uh, learn dance at home. They don't go to an academy. Um, so for me, it was, um, I started really dancing. First, I started really dancing Rai uh, when I was a child, nine, ten years old. That was, I always say it's the first muscle memory that I downloaded in my So a rebel body. from the start. Yes. Taban, <laughs> dancer. Yes. Yes, and it was, it was interesting because um, it was something that it was something that I grew up dancing, but also it was kind of like uh, rebellious, you know? It was a little taboo, exactly. Because I still really couldn't play it out loud in my house. I still was... Well, I kind of was playing it low-key, you know, back in the days when we had those big, you know, big-ass computers. I used to just listen to it secretly, kind of lower the volume a little bit. Um, so there is that kind of like it's a part of our culture but it's not always fully accepted because of cultural stigmas um, in terms of do doing dance as a career um, it was really like I said something really gradual it was kind of something that just happened to me I felt that people in the community were like asking me like you're a great dancer why don't you teach us how to dance At five, six, seven years people used to tell me that I never really took it seriously because I grew this idea ingrained in my mind as a child that North African dance is something you do at home. It's not something that you do as a, as a, a refined practice on stage or as a career. So that was about five or six years into breaking that kind of, uh, you know, community barriers, mental barriers, more mental barriers. But in conclusion, I found a lot of people asking me, a lot of people telling me, a lot of people dragging me into it, a lot of people. I felt like the community needed it. So I, I just ended up going with the flow, and I felt it was a perfect click. It was like two puzzle pieces that clicked together. I, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that kind of community aspect and community perceptions of what dance is or isn't. We live in a time when, from Shahrazad to Shakira, right? Belly dancing is kind of omnipresent. Uh, even in Western culture, it's become a global phenomenon. And when it's a global phenomenon, it comes with certain orthodoxies, hegemonies, dominant narratives, right? And your work fights very hard to create a voice, a voice that's much more specific and much more... Yes. And really centered on the North African narratives. Uh, shabby dance, etc. Uh, so tell us a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. You know, sharing something. Can you get mm -hmm. sharing something that's so global, but in a very local voice? Well, I love that you were use the word homogeneity. Yeah, homogeneity. 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 Sorry, homogeneity. I think the very much the Western, the dominant imperial perspective is the standard stand, status quo. So we know that, uh, for instance, the United States of America and other you know, Western powers uh, create a very simplistic view on a whole region of people. And it's a way almost to kind of make you so utterly simplistic that it's a way to... Uh, I guess occupy you in a way because you're so simple, right? Oh, look at all these millions of people. They're exactly the same. They speak exactly the same way. They dance the same way we know them. 
They watch Aladdin. <laughs> they all eat the same thing. They all speak the same way. So it's kind of like a... For me, it feels almost like a colonial tactic to make us all the same. And especially with Raqsa uh, Sharqi or ballet dance, which is a beautiful dance, um, it's been more popularized by Western women than it has been by folks, Arab women or Middle Eastern women. It's like yoga. Can, yes. Don't even get me thought. <laughs> I'm about to get a headache. So uh, it's sad that things become popular when Western women uh, claim it as a sense of empowerment, even though it's something that's really been empowering our communities for, for decades and, you know, decades and decades, centuries. Um, just to even say about North African dance, that's even such a, a, vague, uh, a general word. I mean, North African dance could be from Morocco all the way to Egypt. That's a huge uh, uh, category, right? Even people don't know that there is no Moroccan dance, there's no Algerian dance, there's no Tunisian dance. There's dances. Morocco in itself has dozens. Algeria has dozens. Tunisia has dozens. So on and so forth. So it's important that our cultures are so diverse and we're all not Arab people. You know, we have different ethnic groups. We have Amazir. And even in the Middle East, you have different groups of people. You know, um, so it's important. There is a beautiful thing in the similarities, but it's also really important and empowering to be specific at the same time. So a lot of my work is, I focus really hard on trying to be specific. I only put things where they need to be placed. If he's playing shabby music, I'm only wearing shabby belts. If we're playing middahat, I'm only wearing a scarf, right? So I don't mix and match and create confusion around the cultures, around cultures that already are so uh, orientalized into one bubble.
And yet your practice also embraces diversity in a way, right? As we saw tonight, right, with the kind of incorporation of jazz music uh, as, a, as a background, of course, as a kind of secondary layer, as you said uh, uh, earlier. Uh, tonight is the last, last night of this amazing festival we just saw, and almost everybody we saw this week is in their practice building a bridge between New York um, and North Africa. Mm-hmm. And you are one of these people because you are uh, of Algerian descent, right? You grew up here in New York, from what I understand. Tell me a little bit about that, you know, growing up in New York and then going to Algeria, building that bridge between the two. Uh, I felt... I feel very privileged to have grown up in a mixed culture. So I did travel a lot to Algeria as a very young person. And Derja was the first language in my house. That was the only language till this day that we speak in the house. And um, thank you to my mother for this. Um, uh, but um, she, I think we have this idea that there is like a huge contradiction between uh, being uh, American or being uh, from somewhere from the global south. It's like, wow, like, uh, it's like uh, we see it as two completely different uh, contradictions, but really they're like two sides of the same coin. They're both affected by the same global issues, so colonialism, exploitation. It's like when we separate them as two different worlds, it makes it seem like Uh, the reason why we're colonially exploited is our fault. As if like we're not all connected in one planet, right? So I never really saw, I was very lucky to not really see a country like a opposite and have a fight like, am I American? Am I Algerian? Uh, You know, I always felt that they both are a beautiful harmony together. And I took kind of both beautiful things from from both uh, experiences, you know, um, we're really all living the same shit. We're all st- living the same struggles. Um, for me, what was beautiful is that g- traveling to Algeria a lot as a child it really brought that like community living room vibe that I miss so much that I don't really feel as much here. That I kind of try to bring that essence. My whole work is based around trying to create that same ambiance of that party in the house with your family and you're hanging out and you're chilling and you know, you're wearing pajamas and you're letting it shake out, you know? I love pajama- dancing in pajamas. That's the number one thing I miss. But dancing pajamas, that kind of informal community building. That's how, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and I think that's another aspect. See, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. No, I, uh, and, yes. and, and do you I know do what wanna, I'm talking about? I totally know what you're talking about because, uh, you know, the type of dance that, that, that we know as, um, I don't want to call it oriental dance, but I want to call it, you know, maybe belly dancing, maybe uh, shabby dancing, shabby dance, whatever, wherever it is from, um, is in a way not exclusively a form of performance, right? It's also a part of day-to-day culture, yeah. right? Existence, experience. Yeah. When you're when you're a person from the, from that part of the world, uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about um, in in your practice you you see it yes as part of culture, but you also seem to present dance as a kind of uh, a, a, a freedom building exercise almost right and also a joy building exercise. So yes, it's part of day to day culture, 
But there's also an, an element of unlocking the body in a way that promotes freedom. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, that's a that's a profound question. <laughs> I have a lot. Yeah. Well, it's it's yeah. it's what I think a lot of people feel when they when they see you perform, right? I hope so. Is that what you feel? Yeah. All right, that's good news. <laughs> that's good news. Um, I think I think what I can say is that I can go on and on about this in many different uh, aspects. But I want to say, firstly, is that um, the struggle, what I like to see dance is, is I like to use the dance form itself to critique the conditions in which the dance exists. You know? So um, there is a lot of stigmatization culturally. This is very culturally specific, you know, within our own cultures. Maybe not, you know, in this setting, but in, within our own cultures, there are some stigmatizations around dancing publicly or dancing as a profession. I mean, if you dance as a profession, you're like blacklisted as a human being. Nobody wants to marry you. Nobody, want, nobody you know, sees you as uh, having morals. No one sees you deeming of respect. Not everybody. There's a lot of people who support the arts, and I'm so blessed that those are the people who have uplifted me and, and supported me. Um, but in combating those kind of stigmatizations, culturally specific ones, you know, um, it's almost kind of like a fight, uh, a resistance, a battle to say that me, what I do is beautiful, what I do is respectful. It's no matter what I do, no matter what I wear, no matter how I dance, whether I'm dancing on the floor or I'm dancing this or I'm dancing like this or I'm dancing like this, you know, um, and that it doesn't say anything about my sexual availability and doesn't say anything about my intelligence and it doesn't say anything about who I am and what my heart is like. So, um, and I feel a lot of people are connected to this feeling, right? We see, we've seen all over the world, we've seen young women, young people, not only women, queer people, even in, in, in Egypt, who have been, you know, arrested for dancing on TikTok, or we've seen uh, men in the community, uh, maybe, and I've seen it in, in Algeria as well, people like men in the community who call women out and try to expose them for, you know, dancing on, the, on YouTube or whatever. Um, the beautiful thing is that, let me tell you a story really quickly. So one time I created this video, just so it creates a good perspective of, of the dance is around the ability to choose. Being, I choose to be here, I choose to show myself. It's my choice to show myself. One time I made this video with one of my friends, Selim Beltitan, I'm gonna give a shout out to one of my percussionists in Paris. Uh, I made this video, him and I are playing percussion together. We're sitting in this couch in Paris, we're playing, I'm playing Tarija, he's playing Derbuka. Uh, and um, it, it, go, it goes viral, like people start making, um, people start making, uh, uh, what is it called, re, re, remakes, remixes, remixes and uh, stitches, they stitch it. But people are making remixes on top of that remix, and people made a whole song on top of this like little jam session I had with my uh, with my Algerian brother, and four or five iterations later, I see that 
people start covering my face. Like they take a big smiley face and then they cover my face. And I was like, I see a chair and it has like hundreds of thousands of views. It's my video, I took it with my phone. Three or four iterations later, I'm no longer in the video. And I'm like, what the hell? I was like, it's my video. I chose to be, I chose to see myself. I, cho I chose to be, to be seen. I chose to be seen. And somebody else in my place chose to hide me. And that's really when I say with dance, it's like, dance is not about, and then you find videos online. If you know, you know that there's videos online of people, especially like patriarchal, misogynistic men who take videos secretly of women dancing. And those go viral on YouTube. So it says a lot, it's, it's about- a whole genre. It's a whole genre. If you're from North Africa, that's a whole genre of catching women, which is unfortunate because it's without their consent. So catching women, um, being, catching them, being, uh, filming them without their consent. So it says to me like, when they're dancing and don't want to be filmed, they're exposed. When I'm exposing myself, you cover me. Which means that it's like, you just don't want me to make a choice for myself. So and that's what dance is about. It's about that I chose to be seen. You like it or not. Mandy Mandy Big. You're very committed to preserving women-led dance traditions with a certain level of specificity, etc., as, uh, as you've said. And uh, I've seen you often perform with a, an amazing all-female ensemble uh, led by uh, Khadija Al-Warzaziya. Uh, tell me a little bit how, how you started really focusing on female spaces and how did you encounter them? You know, obviously, you don't, you don't live there. You, you're also not... Uh, uh, Moroccan specifically so how did you start encountering these, these sort of female spaces and how did you build these relationships well the thing is is because I grew up in these kind of spaces they're natural to me I know the codes I know how it goes I know the, the ecosystem how it functions everywhere it's the same similar structures 
the, in, the informal structure is the same. The weddings at home have the same kind of structure. The way people help each other, you know, women help each other out, it's the same kind of structure. Um, so this band in particular, Benat al which is led by Khadija Wurzazia, um, and other groups, I recently worked in Paris a few months ago with uh, Sheikha Hajla, which is another Sheikha of Middahat, and with uh, also um, Sheikha Rabia, who's also a Sheikha of Middahat as well, a little older, in, uh, in her 70s. So it's not, uh, it's both Algerian and Moroccan Sheikhat, as I mentioned earlier in the performance. Um, how it happens is that even though I have this melange, melange, like fusion experience as being somebody who lives in New York, but living in New York is not really living in the United States. Living in New York is really like living everywhere. You know what I mean? It has a completely different flow. If you live in New York, you can go to any place in the whole entire world and fit in perfectly. Because New York really is like a, 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 it's a struggle place. Everybody's struggling. You know, so um, how that ended up happening was I have really no, uh, no formula to tell you because everything happens by spirit. Everything kind of happens where I just hang out with somebody and then maybe I say, it's okay if I can dance with you? And they say, okay, I'll dance with them a little bit. And then they're like, you want to come with me to a show tomorrow? I said, sure. And I go with them to the show. You want to come with me to this show next week? Yeah. And that's how it goes. That's happened to me three different times with three different groups that I just, I have respect for elders, my elders. So they see the sense of respect, they don't feel ignored, they don't feel like people forgot about them, and they still feel like they have uh, information to transmit to the younger generation. So as long as they, uh, we have this exchange of respect, it flows naturally. So with Khadija Warzizia in particular, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I have no idea. Okay, once every year I do something that I have no idea why I did it. At least once a year. And it's not like a normal thing, like I just go get like a tuna sandwich. It's like I literally do something crazy, like I go all the way across the world to meet a person. You know, I, once, in a, once a year I do something like that. Something completely like random, spontaneous. I have no idea why I do it, but that's how I know I feel like I'm gravitated. Maktoubi. Maktoub. So this happened with Khadija, actually. I have no idea. I had known about her for a while because she had sung a famous Shabi song in Morocco called Mukia Muk, which is a song, essentially, uh, of a woman uh, telling her husband, like, oh, So he's like, He's chastising like, him. He's like, yeah, I know you were hanging out with the girls last night. Mm, mm, mm. I know you were out drinking that last night. Mm, mm. I know you were hanging out with the, at the club last night. So she went viral for this song years ago. That's not the reason why I messaged her. But anyway, out of the blue, I messaged her. No idea why. On Facebook. She took like a month to respond. Because I don't think she, poor woman, I don't think she even knows how to open her Facebook. But she opened like a month later. She, and I was like, hey, I want to meet you. I had no idea why I said this. Like, hey, I want to meet you. She didn't even respond. She just wrote her phone number. <laughs> so real five five. Called her up the next day and I said, I want to come uh, to Maghrib and come see you. She said, Marhaba. One word, Marhaba. Literally, like two weeks later, I went to Marrakesh. I called her the day I got there. And I said, hey, I'm here. He said, okay, come to this address. I wrote this address on a, on a newspaper. 
And this is Medina, from Medina al Qadima. So this is the old Medina, which is kind of like, uh, you know, like a very small traditional town that has little creeks and turns and, and very, you kind of feel like you're like in the 18th century, you know what I mean? So I have no idea how I'm getting around. I go there and they're having a wedding. I sit there and she goes, I sit next to her, introduces me to her crew. Two minutes, five minutes later, she goes in her bag. They're all wearing uh, red kaftans, by the way, because they usually la'abet, which is like a, a group of women who they're like similar to madahad. They're all women groups who play shabby music, but they play it only with percussion and song uh, and, and singing. And, it's, and they usually sit in a circle together and they face each other. La'abet means like players. They're all playing amongst each other and they bring them for weddings. And the main purpose for bringing them was because women didn't want, uh, you know, uh, men to be play at their weddings. So, and, and Shifat are not always women. There's a lot of, you know, non-binary people. There's also a lot of uh, queer men who, who join La'abat groups as well, and Middahad groups. Sheb Abdu is a really big famous person who plays in, uh, in Middahads as well. But um, essentially, she pulls out a kaftan out of her dress. She goes, Siri Tzbidli. She goes, go change. I go in the bathroom, I change. She gives me Zam Mozuna Tav. So I'm here in this person's wedding. I have no idea who this person is. In, in the, and it's like in a house, you know, so it's not like in a, a hall. I'm dancing in this hall. And then the next day she calls me, she goes, hey, we're gonna be on TV tomorrow. You wanna come? I said, sure. I said, sure. So, that's how it works. I'm sorry, I have no formula for you. No, this is, this is, this sounds like you do actually. It sounds like, you know, go, I just go chill. out there. I just know? chill and I just let things come my way. That's it. Great, listen. Uh, tell me a little bit about the songs you chose to perform tonight. Yes, and, and I forgot all of them. <laughs> Horrible memory, there, there we go. Tell ah, me a little okay. bit about that. So, um, there we go. We have uh, most of the repertoire that we did today was, uh, I would say, four We have like jazz and modern influence with this. So, the first couple of songs that we played, Nuba and Lilla, they were Shabi Maghribi, Moroccan Shabi, a little bit of Gnawa. With Qraqab, yes, with Qraqab. Um, we also did a portion dedicated to Middahat as well. That's actually also why I do my henna like this for a show. Because uh, uh, the way it's done, see, I broke a nail during dancing. That's why I know it was good. <laughs> uh, where we you know, do the fingers and do the hand. This is something that also Sheikh Harimiti used to do traditionally before performance. She starts every show like this and shows her hand. This was always dedication to Shaharimiti. Uh, so we did Middahat, which I told you is, comes from tradition of, of Midih, women praisers who usually sing to the prophet, who usually sing to saints. Uh, it's usually healing music. That's what Middahat is, healing music. But also, like I said, sings about love and an arbitrary thing. Shabi does the same thing as well. But Middih is more blues. Middahat, they usually sing in a more bluesy way. 
Um, yeah, and then we did, uh, we had one song, Jikoro, we did with Hiddi. Hiddi is a pattern that's, it's not necessarily a musical tradition, but it's a rhythm that's used a lot across uh, Algeria. It's used in Kabil music, it's used in uh, Rai music, it's used in, uh, in Shabi Algeria, uh, Algerian Shabi, because that's a different genre. Um, Hiddi is the pattern that's usually played typically at the end of Algerian Shabi music. Which is more, you know, it's it's very different than Moroccan Shabi. It's it has like it's very inspired, uh, ins, ins, inspired by, uh, you know, Andalusian modes of music. There's always almost twelve plus rhythms that happen in uh, <clears throat> in development one after another. It usually had these one of the patterns is at the end of the party, and that's what everybody's. Essentially, anything that's in twelve eight or six eight is where people go wild. In uh, North Africa, that's that, that's the that's the thing. That's when that's when everybody rages. Yes, that's the um, rager. You know, when I when I see you dance, I, I realize how how different the language of North African dance is from the type of dance that I was exposed to growing up more in in the Levant, right? Uh, well, uh, if we're going to talk about or- Oriental dance, it's more. Um, uh, let's say Shakira like belly dance, so m- much more hip focused much less head, head movements, um, etc. And very hybridized, actually. Uh, very internationalized, uh, in, in a way. Um, so, you know, if, if dance you is... Meant, le- you meant whitewashed. That's what you meant. Uh, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Globalized. Palatable, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and dance is, is a language, right? Yeah. And I know that you teach it a lot. You know, you're, you're, you're also a teacher, very much a teacher. So what's the first word you teach? And can you maybe show me? Oh, you're going to pay me? <laughs> if you can. <laughs> well, which or, style like, are we talking about? In the sense that for Shabi, yeah. for Shabi, what's the first step you teach someone? Or the first sort of way to move? Yes. Right? Well, like, firstly... If it's the ABCs, what's the A? Well, you know? firstly, that's a good question. The Firstly, the number one thing I teach is to find, which seems very simplistic, but it's not is how to march right. is to find that downbeat, that heartbeat of the music. So where can we step? That's, it's very baby steps, but you'll be surprised how difficult it is for rhythms that are uh, against the pattern of that we usually hear, like because a lot of our dooms fall on off beats. So our music sounds very, a lot of our music, not all of it. Uh, I'm being very general, but a lot of our music is off beat, feels off beat. So people are usually stepping on the opposite side of the pattern. So my first thing is usually how to step, how to march. Uh, and then usually, depending on, how, and then usually the second thing is like, how do we march, but also how do we transfer our weight? Because weight is a big thing. How we place our weight on our feet, how we expand it, how we transfer it, how we let, leave ourselves be heavy. That's really important to be heavy on your knees, on your feet. You want essentially gravity to, to, to play in your favor, right? So a lot of people are like, oh my God, how do you do that shaking? And I'm like, it's gravity. I just let my weight hit the floor and I allow my body to just react to my, my literal weight hitting the floor. That's a great, that's, that's a great tip. Yeah. Uh, what's, <laughs> what's your favorite space to perform in in New York? When you're, when you're here in, in this city, what's the, what's the space where you perform and you're like, this, this, this feels amazing. To be honest, I really like the small spaces. I really 
like even I really like the small bars, the small kind of like tight, tight knit places where there's not really even a good sound system. Like it's just like, you know, we're, it feels like very living roomy. I love that kind of environment because it's also a little risky because you literally feel the energy of every single person. Here, at least, you know, there's, there's some sort of distance, but there, you, it's like, uh, if there's one person you don't fuck with, it's like you feel it so much, you know? So I like, it's a little risky, but that rarely happens anyway. But what I'm saying is that I like to feel close to, to everyone around me. I recently did a show in Barcelona with um, one of my friends, uh, Yassine, and uh, it was in a very small bar. And it was packed. And everybody was like, why are you doing it in this gritty bar? Like, it's like, you need to be doing like something in the opera. And I said, I really like this. I like the, like the stages. I, I just like the intimacy. Fantastic. Um, I want to thank you so much for taking of the course. time to chat with us after this amazing show. I also want you to tell us uh, where can we reach you, where can we contact you, yes. uh, well, what else are you up to these days, and, and how people can sort of stay in touch. Of course. So, um, firstly, I want to thank all the beautiful people who stuck around to listen to me. I really appreciate that. It's a big honor. Um, my on my Instagram is Warda Dance. You can also just write Isra Warda, and it will come up. Um, same thing on Facebook as well, uh, YouTube as well. I'm also um, having my upcoming date is actually going to be on the 14th of this month, November 14th, which is a Sunday. That's going to be in Brooklyn at in partnership with Maqam Hang. Yes, um, that's going to be at Wild Birds. I believe that's in Crown Heights. Is that in? Yes. It's in Crown Heights, right? So that's in Brooklyn. Um, that's going to be with a traditional, 100% traditional Moroccan band. So that's going to be like wearing kaftan, hazam, like very uh, uh, traditional uh, form. Um, yes, and also if you've noticed what's out here, uh, I've recently put out a CD with my, uh, my, uh, my colleague, Salim Bittetan, who I was telling you about. Uh, if you can pass me one of those. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to give you a shout out to Andrea. Uh, this is a recent project that I did, Rhythmology. Learn North African rhythms. So I spent about eight months working on this project with Salim, where we created one of the very few, if not one of the only, um, uh, resources to learn about rhythms from Tunisia, from Algeria, from Morocco, and much more. Um, and essentially how to read it musically, how to play on the buka, how to play it on bendir, but also if you don't know how to read music, we've created even our own special notation system from our own symbols, people who don't know. You don't need to read music to play music, yeah. you know? It's like you don't need to learn the alphabet to speak. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, so we've created our own notation system to help just the average person uh, learn how to interpret uh, over 18, I want to say 25 rhythms that we have here. So, and it also comes with a little book in which we talk about the you know, geographical, pedagogical information of each rhythm. And 25 rhythms is nothing. There's literally hundreds. This is like uh, 0.000101 introduction. So this was a huge project for me because this for me was like, if I want to see something done, I need to do it myself. 
And this was the thing that was like, if I'm, I can't complain about resources not being made by my own people if I don't make something. So this to me was like, make it. So these are going for sale if you're interested. I feel like I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I'm a salesman right now. These are for sale. I'm also, um, these hizams, these mozonas that have been working, that I was dancing with, also I bring them and they're handmade for me from women from the Atlas. Um, yeah. Are for sale as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, for everybody, you know, you can again follow us uh, on at Afikra uh, uh, on Instagram uh, or afikra.com if you want to see uh, hundreds of conversations just yes. like this one really amazing. with incredible artists from the regions, uh, uh, scholars, researchers, and really just anybody and anyone who's curious about the Arab world. Um, thank you so much again. Thank Isra. you. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for such thoughtful questions. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to watch the full uncut version, go to youtube.com slash afikra. There you can see the full video versions of these podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to afikra.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikra.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks.